and actually, we are going to transition now just to a little time of interaction, some Q&A. So if you're serving on the panel for that Q&A discussion, I'll invite you to come up and have a seat on the roomy stage that is behind me. Um, and as they're coming up, as our panelists are coming up, in fact, you know what, to give you guys a little room, I wonder, is there like a real, maybe some, well, Nate, you know what, David, you would help me out. Why don't we move this podium just down, um, just to, to free the sight line a little bit for y'all. Um, and as the panelists, I think that's bad etiquette, I should stand up while I have the mic in my hand. Um, as the panelists are coming up to be on the stage, uh, I want to just make mention of a couple uh, specific practical resources that I want to make sure you are aware of. Uh, first of all, if you did not receive it when you walked in tonight, we have a resource document that's intended to talk about. I mean, Nathan, thank you for the work that you guys have done um, to be convening lots of people here in the city who have for, for decades been caring for refugees. And, um, and many of us, I think, at a personal level have tried to reach out where we've had opportunity. But I really do think God's doing something um, through not only individual families, but also the organizations and institutions that are, um, again, have been doing this work for a long time and are also now beginning to try to collaborate a little bit more. Um, I do want to say a word about, I'll stand up here for a minute until I, until I, until you're the star again, okay? How's that? Because um, I, I do want you to be able to see me while I'm saying a few things. Um, I do want to take just a minute to explain um, that as we were thinking about hosting our event tonight, uh, we reached out to the three refugee resettlement agencies who work actively here in Kansas City. And those three, as, as Nathan mentioned, are... Uh, JVS, Jewish Vocational Services, Catholic Charities, and Della Lamb. And let me get my note here, just so you have an idea. Um, JVS resettles about 500 families per year, and um, they work on the Missouri side. Predominantly, their placement for refugees is in Kansas City's Northeast. Um, so that's kind of their hub. Catholic Charities... Oh, actually, let me say before I leave JVS, uh, then there's a much smaller resettlement agency working also on the Missouri side, a group called Della Lamb, and they resettle about 30 families a year. And these statistics are just direct numbers that I got from these agencies within the last couple weeks. So that's how that works. And then on the Kansas side, Catholic Charities uh, resettles about 300 families a year, and uh, predominantly in the KCK area. Uh, one of the unique things about World Relief as they were exploring uh, the idea of bringing an agency here to Kansas City, um, they, they always, whenever they set up a new agency, like to work with the existing agencies that are already in town and also do just some basic asset mapping of the city. And so one of the unique things, not that they had completely decided where they were going to be, but they were really thinking about placement that would be further south. Um, so there would be just a little more broad coverage of our city with the resettlement agencies. What's true of all the agencies I just mentioned, uh, the resettlement is a little bit further away from our campuses, 
um, which is interesting. I think there's actually quite a lot of analytics that could be done about where our campuses started out and how we've grown and where the refugees are being placed in the city. Some of it has to do with the infrastructure of busing systems and that kind of thing. But of course, there's a tie, isn't there, in our city? There's a tie to race and ethnicity and space and where, um, where, where people live. Um, and so that's a whole other forum, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but I, I wanted to explain that, that you know, of course, when we started thinking about this evening, months back, uh, there, there was really good reason to believe that we would be able to make an announcement about World Relief, uh, making, uh, you know, having the green light for, for resettlement. Um, but I just want you to know that we have been really purposeful about having dialogue with the existing agencies, and they've, they've been really great. In fact, Nathan has been here this week um, meeting with other leads from, from the agencies, and they're even earlier today. I know Nathan has a couple of colleagues here as well, I believe. I oh, right I here. Okay, good. It's great to see you guys. And I know you guys also were at a meeting earlier today with a number of practitioners and people who are involved with that. So um, just to give you a sense of um, a little, I just wanted you to have a little bit of that context because we're really, um, we believe in the work of the agencies that are already on the ground here in Kansas City. And the very things that Nathan described as opportunities to get involved with World Relief exist here in Kansas City already with some of the other agencies. It's true that they may not, the opportunities may not be quite as proximate geographically. Um, but I don't know about you, when I watch a presentation like Nathan just gave that talks about the migration of the peoples of the world and the disbursement of refugees, it does sort of reframe the sacrifice it takes to drive 20 or 40 minutes <laughs> to reach out to a, to a refugee family. So um, I want to just introduce our panelists. I guess you've met almost all of our panelists, but I want to introduce you to one more panelist, uh, Kurt Ritema, on the end here. Kurt does community development work in the Argentine, and he and his family um, work predominantly with immigrants and, and actually everyone in the Argentine, all the folks there. Um, but I, in addition to the, re the uh, resource document that we had on the table as you came in, uh, I also, I asked permission uh, from Kurt to make a, make a handout copy of uh, his most recent newsletter. It's just the monthly newsletter that he and his family send out. And it just so happened that he was sharing some reflections about their ministry work with a refugee family. And it was this, this reflection, this one-page reflection, just Kurt kind of um, thinking through um, his own experience with a refugee family, I found really compelling and challenging. And I wanted to encourage you um, to take it home and just read some of his thoughts there. And then um, back to this resource document that I mentioned, you'll notice on the first page of that document, there are just a number of opportunities. It is by no means comp comprehensive. There are many other ways to get involved, but we didn't want to be overwhelming. We wanted to just give a, a snapshot of a number of ways that you could take a next step. If you wanted to move um, away from this evening with a next step, what would be some ways you could do that? So we just listed the opportunities out there, and um, each, the, resource document is organized by the opportunities and not by the organizations. So any one of the three organizations who actively work here in Kansas City 
um, and, and some other organizations who are not resettlement organizations, but they do other support work with refugees. It's all just um, mix, mixed and matched in there on that first page. And then on page two is just a place for some helpful resources, some websites and books and articles and that kind of thing. So don't leave tonight without snagging that resource document. Um, I introduced briefly um, Kurt. And, um, and I want to introduce one other person who we have here tonight. Unfortunately, we didn't have time to, um, to wedge him into the program, but I wanted to make sure that you guys um, had the chance to see Rich Casebolt. Is he, I think he was, oh, there we go. Rich is waving. He's on the second row. And these panelists, along with Rich and a couple other peoples who serve with refugees, uh, will be up front here after the program tonight. So if you just would like the chance to ask a question personally or have some conversation. Those, every one of those uh, folks would love to chat with you about that. But I wanted to point out Rich Casebull in particular because he's one of these organizations who works with refugees but doesn't do the work of resettling them. So Rich founded an organization called Refuge and they are based, I'll say it that way, kind of in the Northeast. But Rich is also just a really helpful um, leader in the city, and he's willing to travel to the suburbs, if you can believe it. Rich will meet us in southern Johnson County uh, to do some basic training work. Uh, another thing he does sometimes is just um, do a little um, a, a, a trip, an exposure trip for Christians who would like to, to visit a mosque or visit a temple. And Rich has a lot of cross-cultural experience, in fact, served abroad for a while. And he's just a dear brother in the Lord and a, and a wealth of information and resources for us. And so I wanted to introduce you to him. You'll see his name on that resource document as well. And now I do want to enter into a time of Q&A. And because there's always that first awkward moment, like who's going to ask the first question? I asked Rich if he would just listen to the program and be kind of our first question asker. <laughs> so I'm going to invite, we've got a couple of mics roaming around. So if you have a question, just raise your hand or maybe even stand up in the aisle and either Nathan or Kevin or someone, or maybe Tim Spanberg's got the mic. Uh, so just stand up if you want to ask a question. Rich, we'll let you kick it off. Well, this question is for Corner. Uh, I was wondering, two questions actually, if I could ask two questions. What your idea of America was as you were in the refugee camp and in Nepal, and then uh, what, uh, what the deal, you know, was once you got here and how it occurred. And then secondly, um, tell us, man, how can we, how can we serve our refugees, or how can we be welcome them in practical ways? Um, thank you. Hello. Uh, thank you. I, I, I love the question. Uh, when I, so when I was in refugee camp, when I, when we, right, uh, when we thought about America, we thought about all those uh, big buildings, right? Uh, because um, we lived in that camp and we never went out, out, out from the camp. So we never saw a um, building more than two stories tall. So when we thought about America, we always thought about all those um, skyscrapers, you know, all huge buildings. And um, honestly, when we arrived in Kansas City, so caseworker he picked us picked up from the airport, and um, so he, he drove through us the uh, downtown, right? So we thought like maybe we were gonna live in some of those big buildings, but that's not true. <laughs> And you just took us to some uh, in Kansas City, and we're like, oh, it's the same like Nepal, you know? 
So that was one of the uh, fun experience, and um, so that, um, for, for answer to your second question, I think uh, what you, what you guys are doing, uh, I think that's amazing. Like how you have helped with uh, ESL and um, getting citizenship and um, to adapting this culture, especially for our um, parents who do not speak English. Uh, it's really hard for them. For youth, um, it's it's not a big deal because they learn language and culture in school or youth group or whatever church, but um, like Mission Atlante and uh, uh, Refuge, right? Refuge Casey, um, the things that you guys are doing like with ESL and um, citizenship classes and all these things. I think that that's what we needed and uh, you gave us. And I just want to say thank you. Back to your question. Um, do you want me to take that? Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, you ready? Nathan, are you, are you interested in that? I can oh, do it. You're doing it. Work as well. Yeah, so definitely. That's free? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I, I think I can answer it pretty shortly. I mean, every resettlement agency um, in the country does things differently. Some work really closely with um, congregations of all religions. Um, you know, for us, I mean, our, our focus is really uh, working with the, the Christian church. And so, um, you know, there, there's certainly no policy where, you know, if a, a Buddhist um, yeah, refugee is arriving in the country that, you know, we, uh, we or any of the other agencies would automatically connect them with a Buddhist temple. Um, that's, that's not something that I'm aware that anyone does. Yeah, great question. Um, I mean, in light of the current crisis in Syria, uh, we've been pivoting our international presence a little bit so that we are now, we now have ground operations um, that we didn't two years ago in Jordan, in northern Iraq, and in Syria, excuse me, in Turkey. But, um, you know, some of those um, so some of those folks that are working there actually have the, uh, the, the capacity to get into Syria uh, as well. And so um, you know, one of the things that we recognize is that the local church, um, we often don't think about the Middle East as a place where the local church is present, but it is. And they've been there for you know, longer than any of us. Um, and so uh, there are really tremendous and powerful opportunities to um, identify and work with churches that are already living there um, and, and to have them be the ones that serve their, uh, their 
Muslim neighbors or you know the Christian neighbors. Um, so that's something that we're that we're doing right now. And as I do, I just I do want to mention that if you're interested in knowing a little bit more about how to engage with the refugee crisis globally, um, there are a number of really great organizations that do that work. But I have some personal experience with um, a group that's been working in Turkey for over a decade now. Uh, it's actually it was founded by a guy I went to seminary with, um, but they're doing phenomenal work, and I feel free to say that because. Um, there has been um, independent uh, confirmation of that that's come from some other foundations in the nation, and I've been hearing the really wonderful um, work that they're doing, and you can see how strategic the work of refugee ministry is in Turkey, and that's where they're settled. We don't have them listed on the resource document because of just for some security issues, but if you're interested in knowing a little bit more about how to engage globally, I'd love to have more conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you for your question. Um, I do. I have um, even my in, even in my family here. Uh, my sister is not uh, Christian yet. All of my family members are um, in. For, um, so my my family is used like fifteen members, and uh, my sister is not uh, Christian yet. Uh, and there is still my families in um, in Nepal who are not Christian yet. I mean, um, we we as a Christian, uh, persecution is not a new thing for us, right? So um, we do get, get that some of the thing um, culturally and in family um, thing, familiarly too. But um, but our goal is uh, to <laughs> you know take Christ to them. And yes, yeah, yes. For, for answer to your question, um, they don't really like like our conversion, but still, I love Christ. So that was that was a mild version of what. Perna experiences, it's a really intense part of his life. So just to add that in, he's really being nice about what he has experienced in persecution. So, uh, Maybe this question is for you, I guess. In your talk, you mentioned that <coughs> when the refugees come into the States and somebody like the woman, they fix them up and tries to get them settled, you said that there were some that might not want that service. Yeah. I'm concerned, I guess, about what percentage that is because it seems to me it would be difficult for them to get integrated you know, into our society if they don't have some assistance. And I was wondering if you could put that in perspective. Sure. Uh, and I probably should have been a little bit more clear. Um, thank you for bringing it up. That uh, when I say that, um, yeah, I didn't mean to imply that refugees decline services. Um, those services are actually pretty vital um, uh, when refugees arrive. But in some cases, they don't want to be linked with a volunteer team. Um, that's you know certainly not something we thrust upon them. Uh, we think that it is actually pretty vital, like you brought up, to um, uh, successful integration, really, to know people who've lived there a little bit longer than you have um, in any new context. And so and that's really one of the practical reasons that we do try to use um, local volunteers as much as possible. 
uh, but it's not always possible. Uh, and so, you know, we, we provide services um, either way um, that are pretty crucial for, uh, they, they typically last uh, for the first 90 days to six months that um, refugees are in the country. And our hope is that by connecting them with volunteers early on that those relationships will sort of extend past that service period. Um, of course, a lot of refugees do come with uh, friends or family already in the country. And uh, typically when placing refugees in, in the United States, one of the first priorities is to say, well, if you have an uncle in Sacramento, then probably you're going to want to go live in Sacramento. And so that's, um, some, you know, refugees do often have a social network in that sense as well. There you are. Your story is, I think, a little bit Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually came in as a volunteer, as, as one of these families that came alongside with Catholic Charities. Catholic Charities, um, and that was probably in 2007. Um, and it's with the particular family that, that is talked about um, in there. Um, and that really was... Um, Modesto and Annunciata were, um, you could tell from, from the get-go that they had a lot going for them. They were, they were highly educated, um, uh, but it was, a, it was a huge transition for them coming from a place where, uh, where he was a pharmacist and, and she was a teacher and uh, coming here and, and, you know, he had to take uh, a, a job being a, a forklift driver um, and, and she uh, began to do some translation as well as, as, well as some tailoring. Um, but that was that was the way that we began to step into it, and um, walking alongside um, uh, that family, and, and just really growing to to come to a place where we have a deep friendship, even nine years later. So that's basically how how we entered into that, and we continue to. It, with we live in the Argentine neighborhood of Kansas City, Kansas, and many um, refugees are are resettled within some of the public housing projects um, that are there, and um, and so we continue to work with with uh, with a number of refugees from uh, the DRC um, is, is another one where uh, we're working with some kids there right now. Nathan, this question is for you. Uh, with the rise of uh, Muslim extremism and the jihadists. All that goes with that, the, the politics and everything, the concern uh, in our country with refugees. Uh, how is that impacting your organization, and how are you dealing with those issues, including the politics of that? Can you speak to that? I wish I could. <laughs> it's a great question, and I'm glad you're asking. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, obviously, um, uh, Numerous governors throughout the country and certain state legislatures have taken um, a stand against welcoming refugees in their states. Um, and, you know, Kansas being one of them. Um, and in fact, you know, Missouri actually had been a bit more neutral, but I understand there is actually now legislation in the works in Jefferson City that uh, may or may not be passed. Um, we recognize that there's a legitimate fear um, in seeing that Muslim extremism is on the rise in some of the countries where we're resettling refugees from. And that's the question that people are asking. How can we be sure that uh, inviting people from those countries is safe? And the way that I answer that question, and I think 
for us, education and simple, honest dialogue is probably the only way to combat misinformation um, and fear, for that matter. What I usually say to that question is this. If you are a person who intends to do harm to the United States, and that's your agenda, that's, that's what you uh, have decided that you want to do, there are so many infinitely easier ways that I can think of to do it than becoming a refugee, you know, establishing a life a pattern of persecution in your home country, fleeing your home country, usually living on, in limbo for anywhere from two to ten years, maybe longer, waiting to win the lottery of one of the less than half a percent of refugees in the world that will ever be offered the chance to resettle in the United States, um, or any other country for that matter, uh, successfully duping federal agents from the FBI and DHS and the litany of other you know, alphabet soup agencies that I listed. I'm, I'm just saying, like, I mean, look, terrorists are as smart as we are. A simple cost-benefit analysis says that's a bad way to get into the United States if you really want to do it. I hate to cast aspersion on yeah, any of our undocumented friends, but you can cross a border if you want to. It's not that hard to do. I mean, well, it's, it is extremely challenging, but um, you know, it, it's a heck of a lot easier than coming as a refugee. It's a heck of a lot more time effective. Um, coming in on a tourist visa is easier and requires less scrutiny than becoming a refugee. It's just, when you start to ask probing questions like that, the refugee resettlement process is infinitely safer than any way that a person ever comes into the United States. Great, and I, I want to take just a minute to actually localize that question, because I'm sure Kurt and David, maybe Perna, even you, have been experiencing um, some, I don't know what the word is, some loaded questions and concerns. And I just would love to give the chance, as our local brothers, um, if, if you have some ways that you found especially helpful responding to those concerns, or maybe even, uh, what is your experience? If you don't have anything, let's skip it. But if there's any local contribution, maybe Kurt, can we What's start with you? If you have anything, if not, you can pass it to yeah, I think I would resonate with uh, with everything that Nathan said there. There are there are infinitely easier ways in order to to do that. Um, I think in I think in particular is um, th that that concern um, is 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 a grave one, and it it is impinging upon. Um, maybe I might be switching the question just a little bit here, uh, but I think it is impinging upon our ability in order to even um, offer hospitality. I mean, many of us can can hear uh, stories of Purna and can hear stories of Modesta and Nunziata and and uh, many other friends that that we've had, and we want to do something um, about this, and and we wanna we wanna serve, we wanna go pick them up from the airport when they're when they're coming here. Um, but I think I think one of the real realities is is, is that um, there are political barriers that are preventing world relief from even beginning to to create uh, an office. There's a reason why it's been taking uh, more than 18 months in order to, to to get this to happen because there are real political barriers that that are going. And I, I want to give a, um, Noel Castellanos is a friend of mine. He's the CCO of of the Christian Community Development Association. He gives a, a little bit of this picture that that he talks 
thoughts about what, what does holistic incarnational ministry begin to look like? And many of us begin from that place where, where we want to proclaim the gospel and, and evangelism is, is, a, is a huge part of that. And, and so those are some of our initial motivations for doing it. And then we begin to realize that there are real needs um, that, that refugees have. Um, that, that we need to address that. And so we provide these acts of mercy and, and begin to, to, to do those simple things of picking them up from the airport, uh, taking them to, to see their social workers. And then we begin to, to see like, well, we, we need to even go beyond some of that and there needs to be some uh, ESL, there needs to be uh, job training and preparedness. So it gets into some of that, that community development level kind of things. But then we we get to this other area that that we begin to see that there are there are, there are systems in place that block us and prevent us from even beginning to do that and i think that that's one of the things the realities that's happening in in kansas right now um and in many states is is that there are political realities that are that are beginning to prevent us from even beginning to do the very thing that god has called us to do in in offering some of these these individual acts of, of, of relief and hospitality. And I think that those are the, those are the things that, we, that I think I've been getting some of the questions of how do we begin to do that? And, and I think it, it causes us in order to get out of our comfort zone sometimes and, and begin to say, how can we aff affect the political system in such a way that we can, that we can begin to do all of these wonderful things that, that everybody's been talking about here right now? So. That's a really good question and a really important one, and it's something that, in a funny sort of way, keeps me up at night, um, because it is a little bit confusing when someone like Purna comes to America. I want to help him become an American, but I don't really want him to really become an American, <laughs> because even in the sense of uh, the Nepali expression of the body of Christ, I really, really believe that the whole body of Christ really needs that, really needs what the Nepali uh, Christians have to offer. And we all, it's like the, the foot can't say to the hand, I don't need you. We all need each other. But practically, I think what that looks like is um, taking, um, when we look at God's primary way of <laughs> becoming the savior of all people, he uh, stepped down off of his throne and became a man and entered into humanity and he wove himself into the fabrics of this broken world. And um, when we invite our refugee friends in, it isn't about us um, taking them into our lives, but it's actually us going into their lives. And um, if you walk with them, they will... Um, understand what it means to become American, and so as we enter into their world, it's it's really 
more about me learning from them and what it means to be a refugee and in Perna's case, what it means to be Nepali. And so um, your question hits at what I find as being um, part of the primary strategy and how we even communicate the gospel is to enter into their world first and into their brokenness. So we're not sympathizing, but we're actually empathizing. We're entering into their pain and their hardships and even into their culture so that we can be with them and 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 walking. And I think that's actually uh, what Perna's story is all about, is that somebody opened up their hearts and their homes and their lives, and it's a beautiful thing. And he's still... Very, very Nepali, but he also can stand up here and, and speak really well in an American <laughs> church, right? So. Brennan, does he have anything to add? I do not. No. I have a kind of two-part financial question um, for both sides, really. So, Perna, when you came to America, your family had $45. So, when a refugee goes through the resettlement process, does our government, or where does Um, thank you for your question. Um, so, from my experience, um, I think it's in every state, um, there's some kind of um, organization or uh, funded from um, government or however, but um, like um, in our Kansas City, we had a Catholic charity uh, who helped us to resettle here. So, when we came to um, Kansas, they would basically do everything for us, like um, uh, they would take care of our financial um, financial record of everything, like uh, food or lodging or everything. So, um, yeah, I think that every state has that when ref refugee resettles in U.S., they have some kind of organization in that uh, place who take care for six months or so. So for our, for our um, in my experience, we had a Catholic charity who took, took care of us for six months, so. That's why $45 was <laughs> it's too helpful. The yeah, um, so I, I mean, refugees come from a variety of different backgrounds. You know, some come with $45. Some come with, you know, a, a chunk of savings that they've had with them. Some come with the clothes on their backs. It, it really varies. Um, so uh, the refugee resettlement program does provide a certain per capita grant for each refugee that is served. Um, and so part of that grant goes to um, things that are provided for the refugee. First month's rent on an apartment or a deposit if that's required. Um, you know, possibly some furnishing that needs to be purchased that hasn't been donated by a church or another group. Um, you know, uh, a little bit of pocket money, it really does not go far. And then another part of that goes to, um, you know, us being able to pay staff and keep our lights on. Um, we, I mean, Two things, for the refugee, we really, um, and, and the program is designed to encourage self-sufficiency as early as possible. Um, you know, refugees, again, are, you know, have the right to work as soon as they can find a job. So, uh, you know, that's one of the things that um, the, the resettlement agencies emphasize is um, sharing employment skills and opportunities and working with uh, really local employers. In fact, one interesting thing that I'll just throw out there is that tomorrow um, we, 
through JT's connections and some others, have um, set up a luncheon for employers that might want to work with refugees. Um, a building relationships with them is really crucial, and that's actually one practical way that churches can help is think about, like, who is an employer in your congregation? And will they maybe be willing to give a chance to somebody who maybe doesn't have the qualifications that you would normally look for on a resume, but um, I tell you, is probably going to be your most loyal employee. <laughs> if you invest a little bit in a refugee, they, it's, it's going to come back to you, and I, I can guarantee you that. Um, and, the, and then as far as, you know, um, how does our organization work with um, uh, churches, we really do try to, I, I doubt we've ever <laughs> achieved this perfectly, but we do try to shoot for a ratio of 50%, you know, funding that we do receive through the grant that we, that, that we get from um, serving refugees, and 50% or more <laughs> private funding. Um, that's sort of a ratio that, you know, again, I don't know that we ever hit it, but we, we try for it. We're just going to have one or two more questions, and then we'll close the night. The one question I haven't uh, heard addressed in these days is the fact that there are two groups of Christians, which are the most ancient of all Christians on the planet, uh, the Assyrians, especially from around Damascus and Aleppo, of course, which is now destroyed utterly, and the other is the Copts in Egypt. Is there any sort of a notion of going for a snatch and grab, if you will, to get those people the hell out of there? Huh? Let's go for it. <laughs> Are you leaving away? You, you have a plane? <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Um, I've got to be honest, you know. Um, many of the refugees that we serve are persecuted Christians. That's why they left their homes. The thing about being a Christian is that sometimes you want to stay where you are, even if it means persecution. And so a lot of those communities, I, I don't know that they're leaving en masse. Um, I don't know that they want to leave en masse. I think that they sometimes want to do the hard work of staying. Um, of course, um, you know, there's no way to prioritize one religious group or, over another, although I would say that there's a very strong um, percentage of the refugees that come to the United States that are Christians and that were often persecuted because of their faith. Anybody know more about that? Well, I just want to say I, I followed a little bit the, the Syrian Christian response to what was going on, and it was just interesting because it wasn't always really clear to them as a group how they respond because there was um, the government and the protesters, and they felt, what is it that we do? And I just, your question hits it just kind of an interesting thought of just recognizing that, again, our response as Christians, whether we're here or whether there, is generally different. It's a, different than how the world responds. And there's a few really good articles on uh, just personal experiences, uh, even some of the people that you mentioned, that even what Nathan talked about is that it's not real obvious. Like, some of them are just ready to serve the people next to them and continue to be persecuted and and it's uh it's inspiring to me i guess to to see their dedication to the lord even in the midst of some of the worst persecution is there any other question i don't know the other mic okay you're going for that too okay that hand over there is our last question and again these guys will be up here um, after the program uh, if you'd like to 
see how fast Tim can get to this. We had come in a little bit late, and maybe this was already addressed. What is the process or the opportunity for those who come in as refugees to become naturalized citizens? No, I'm glad you asked. Uh, I don't think I said that. So um, refugees uh, come in on a, a specific type of visa. Um, I think it's just called like a refugee visa, basically. Um, but then within 12 months, they are then uh, supposed to apply for their green card, which is permanent residency. You know, um, any uh, immigrant who, um, uh, a lot of immigrants go through that process. And then refugees are eligible for that after 12 months after five years in the country, they're eligible to um, take the citizenship test. And so actually, that's another way that churches can really get involved is um, helping them prepare for that test. A lot of churches have gotten involved there. And of course, English is a part of that too. Is this one live? Yeah. So as we close, um, I just invited our brother Purna, if he would um, say a prayer um, in closing. And I wonder, can I just invite us all to stand up? Maybe just receive um, this um, as the closing benediction as Purna prays. I've asked if he would pray in his mother tongue and then do some translation on that too. So Purna, please close us. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for tonight and thank you for all the brothers and sisters who are here tonight. And Lord, I pray for everybody who are here. And Lord, I pray that discussion that we have today and the uh, word that we shared, that I pray that your Holy Spirit use it for your glory, Lord. I thank you so much for everything. And Lord, I Lord, and as we live from here, bless us and be with us. We love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.